Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Well, I am excited to be here today to talk a little bit more about President Henry B. Irene of the First Presidency and some of his teachings. Now, in order to do that, first of all, we have to be selective. Obviously, I can't, we can't talk in 30 or 45 minutes about all of the teachings of President Irene. We just have to choose some significant ones that uh, I always try to f- choose those teachings that seem to have some relevance today. But going backwards first, I had a great experience uh, a little while ago in interviewing Matt Irene, and he talked about both of his parents, and it was uh, wonderful to hear about the powerful influence of Kathleen. And here's what Matt said. He said, my mom grew up with money, but she felt that money was dangerous, and she encouraged Henry always to go small. And uh, they learned early on not to seek for riches, and Kathleen felt that money was just a, a massive distraction and she felt that academics could also be dangerous. And Matt said, she also, my mom always wanted me to be a seminary teacher. She just felt like that was a good route to go. And this is why, partly why Kathleen wanted Henry to leave Stanford and go to work for the church. And uh, part of that was because that Kathleen really believed in this principle of going small, that we don't have to have all this, quote, stuff. Uh, here's something else that Matt said about his father. He said, my father is a saint. He said he is a social individual, a social animal. He loves to be around people. He loves to be around his family. He loves to build people. Matt called his dad multiple times in our interview a builder. He said he takes care of my mom who is in the advanced stages of Alzheimer's. He sings to her. He reads to her. He talks to her even though she can't recognize him. In fact, for many years, Matt said, my dad was my mom's prime caretaker until he just wore himself out. Uh, But she has been the biggest influence in his life. He has always treated our mom as a queen. And then he added that my dad is an optimist. He is always happy. And furthermore, present sister Irene, when it comes to the gospel, are all in. Matt said they give it all to build the kingdom. God's kingdom is everything to them. And they've given everything that they have to the church. And when they die, the church gets everything. There's no inheritance that goes to the children. It's a a complete consecration to the church. Now, as we get into some of the teachings, one of my favorites was this statement you've heard. President Irene has repeated this now multiple times in general conferences, that when you meet someone, treat them as if they were in serious trouble. And you'll be right more than half the time. Recently, President Irene, in quoting that statement from Wilbur Cox, has added that really it's, it's much more than that. It's, it's more than half of the time. It's maybe most of the time now that when you meet someone, yeah, if you treat them as if they're in serious trouble, you will be right. And then this, and I love this, another teaching. I call this in the eye of the storm, that the great test of life is to see whether we will hearken to and obey God's commandments in the midst of the storms. And it's not just to endure storms, but to choose the right while they rage. 
And the tragedy of life is to fail in that test and so fail to qualify to return in glory to our heavenly home. I just love that from President Irene to not just endure, but to choose the right while the storms rage. And I'm one who once again believes that while the storms rage around us, as they do right now, that there can be great happiness, that there can be great hope, that there can be great optimism, regardless of the trials and challenges that we go through. Now, let me share with you, when it comes to teachings, that I feel like many of the lessons in life that were taught by President Irene, uh, he learned from his dad. And I'm going to share a few of those right now, but one of them, maybe one that's not as common, it actually happened to President Irene's youngest brother, Hardin. And it's such a great story, I want to tell it to you. Uh, And it just shows the compassion and love of President Irene's father, And my belief is that that compassion and love was passed down from father to his sons. But when Hardin was about 13 years old, he and his good friend Butch, and everyone from the 1950s needs a friend named Butch, right? They snuck out the family car. And they gave that, you know, they took the car on a wonderful joy ride. And then when it was time to come home, and I'm just imagining these two 13-year-old boys, you know, barely able to see over the dashboard. But when it was time to come home, that... Hardin panicked and he looked in the rearview mirror and saw that there was a car right behind him and he wasn't quite sure what to do. And so he just cranked those wheels to the right while the car was going about 40 miles an hour into his own driveway without hardly even hitting the brakes and smashed into the house. So not only does he mess the family car up, but also their home now has been damaged. And once again, go back to the 1950s and just think of how how much a car would have weighed. I mean, cars were like tanks back in those days. Obviously, Hardin and Henry's mom, Mildred, was not happy at all. Henry Sr. was away on a business trip. And so Mildred said, okay, Hardin, you're going to call your dad right now and tell him what you've done. And of course, Hardin was shaking. He was, he was so distraught himself, but he calls his dad up and tells him the story of what happened. And after telling the story, Henry Irene Sr., in hearing that, said, Hardin, let me tell you a story. And and Henry Sr. told the story of when he was about the same age, that there was a bully in their town of Pima, Arizona, that just harassed Henry Sr. and all their friends. And one day that bully was walking close to their house, and there was some kind of altercation. And, and all Henry Sr. wanted to do was just scare this bully away who was, stay, who was you know, kind of harassing them outside of the Irene home. And so Henry Sr. pulls down the huge buffalo gun that hung over the mantle of the fireplace, brought it outside, and pointed it at the bully and told the bully he needed to leave. And the bully wasn't really falling for this, uh, you know, for this at all. And so Harden thinking the gun was not loaded, pulled the trigger, and not only did that huge buffalo gun send him backwards, but it, it fired around. And now luckily for the, for the bully, you know, Harden was a bad shot and he missed, but the, but the ball landed, you know, right in front of this bully's feet in the dirt. And it scared everyone. I mean, it scared Henry Sr. It scared the, you know, of course the bully ran off. But then Henry Sr., in a really tender moment with his son over the phone, said to Harden, he just said, Harden, I know exactly how you feel. 
And that was it. Nothing ever more was said. That was the discipline. And that was the incredible, wonderful tutelage that our Henry Eyring grew up under with that kind of dad. The next story, the next lesson from dad I wanted to share with you, I call it a lesson from the onion patch. And I'm sure many of you have heard this story, but it was a BYU devotional that President Eyring gave back in the 80s. And he said, I want to tell you a story about waiting on the Lord. My father once told it to me with the intention of chuckling at himself. It's a story about his trying to do his duty just the way you and I try to do our duty. Now you have to know a little bit about my father. His name was Henry Eyring, just like mine. His work in chemistry was substantial enough to bring him many honors. But he still was a member of a ward of the church with his duty to do. And to appreciate this story, you have to realize that it occurred when he was nearly 80 and had bone cancer. In fact, he had bone cancer so badly in his hips that he could hardly move. The pain was so great. Dad was the senior high counselor in his stake and had the responsibility for the welfare farm. An assignment was given to weed a field of onions, so Dad assigned himself to go work on that farm. He never told me how hard it was, but I have met several people who were with him that day. In fact, I talked to one of them on the phone, and he said that he was weeding in the row next to Dad through much of the day. He told me the same thing that others who were there that day have told me. He said that the pain was so great that Dad was pulling himself along on his stomach with his elbows. He couldn't kneel. The pain was too great for him to kneel. Everyone who has talked to me about that day has remarked how Dad smiled and laughed and talked happily with them as they worked in that field of onions. Now this is the joke that Dad told me on himself after. He said, He was there at the end of the day, and after all the work had been finished and the onions had all been weeded, someone said, Henry, good heavens, you didn't pull those weeds, did you? Those weeds were sprayed two two days ago. They were going to die anyway. And Dad just roared. He laughed hysterically. He thought that was the funniest thing. He thought it was a great joke on himself that he had worked all the day long in the wrong weeds. They had been sprayed, and they were going to die anyway. When Dad told me this story... I knew how tough it was. And so I asked him, Dad, how could you make a joke about that? How could you take it so pleasantly? And then he said something to me that I will never forget, and I hope you won't. He said, Hal, I wasn't there for the weeds. And then President Irene interjects, Now you'll be in an onion patch for much of your life, and so will I. It will be hard to see the powers of heaven magnify us or our efforts. It may be even hard to see our work being of any value at all. And sometimes our work won't go well. But you and I didn't come for the weeds. You came for the Savior. And if you pray, and if you choose to be clean, and if you choose to follow God's servants, you'll be able to work and wait long enough to bring down the powers of heaven. Now, I was with Dad in the White House in Washington, D.C. the morning he received the National Medal of Science from the President of the United States. I miss the days when he got all the other medals and prizes, but oh, how I'd like to be with him on the morning he gets the prize he won for his days in the onion patches. He was there to wait on the Lord, and you and I can do that too. Oh, don't you love that powerful story from President Irene about his dad? So faithful, so dedicated, so consecrated. Is it any wonder why his son, President Irene, is just as consecrated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's another wonderful story that President Irene told about his dad at a BYU devotional. 
He said of his dad that he was suffering through the end of a long struggle with bone cancer. He still weighed enough and was and was in such pain that it was hard work to move him from a chair to his bed. Others far more heroic than I spent the months and the days caring for him, but I took some turns on the midnight to dawn shift. The effects of the disease had removed the powers of reason he'd used to make a mark that is still visible in science. He seemed to me almost like a child as we talked through the night. Most of his memories were of riding across the range together with his father in old Mexico, but sometimes even those happy pictures could not crowd out from his mind the terrible pain. And one night when I was not with him and the pain seemed more than he could bear, he somehow got out of bed and on his knees beside the bed. And I don't know how, President Irene said, but he pled with God to know why he was suffering so. And the next morning he said with a quiet firmness, I know why now. God needs brave sons. Now, when someone tells you the questions that matter yield only to some rational analysis, remember that the stunning achievements of reason over the past 300 years have sprung from what is called the scientific method. But I hope you'll also remember, as I always will, the scientist Henry Eyring on his knees when the questions that really mattered yielded to the method for finding truth that he learned as a little boy on his mother's knee in old Mexico. Well, I love the idea that God needs brave sons, that God needs brave sons and daughters, that we need all of us to be brave as we live out our lives in these last days. Now, another theme I'd like to introduce, just kind of pulling away from the direct teachings from the Irene family, is just to lay out a theme of meekness. I think meekness is probably the most underrated Christ-like attribute there is. Yet we learn in the Sermon on the Mount that the meek would inherit the earth, and the earth we know is going to become one day the celestial kingdom. Elder McConkie said that few virtues have such inherent worth as meekness, for the meek are the God-fearing and the righteous. They are the ones who willingly conform to the gospel standards, thus submitting their wills to the will of the Lord. They are not the fearful, the spiritless, or the timid. Rather, the most forceful, dynamic personality who ever lived, he who drove the money changers from the temple and with violence threw down their merchandising equipment and said of himself, I am meek and lowly of heart. And of course, we know that Elder McConkie was talking about the Savior. And then here's Elder Maxwell. I submit, he said, that perhaps the most Christ-like of all attributes of character is that of meekness or of humble submissiveness. He said, Meekness ranks low on the mortal scale of things, yet high on God's. And then he quotes Moroni 7.44, that none is acceptable before God, save the meek and lowly of heart. Now I'm going to quote from Elder Bednar for a minute. He said that meekness is not weak, timid, or passive. Meekness is the quality of being God-fearing, righteous, teachable, patient, in suffering, and willing to follow gospel teachings. A meek person is not easily provoked or irritated, pretentious, arrogant, or overbearing. And then Elder Bednar explained that whereas humility generally denotes acknowledging dependence upon God and receptivity to counsel and correction, a distinguishing characteristic of meekness is a particular willingness to learn both from the Holy Ghost and from other people who may seem less experienced or capable who may not hold prominent positions or otherwise may not appear to have much to contribute, yet they have so much to contribute, right? 
One last one from Michael Wilcox. A church leader once toured a facility that housed a huge hydraulic crushing machine that could reduce old cars into small cubes. For a demonstration, the guide asked the man to remove his watch. The operator then placed it in the machine and adjusted the controls, and the top blade came crashing down, stopping just a millimeter above the watch. Next, the sides slammed together, but once again, they stopped just shy of the crystal. Then the operator removed the watch and returned it unscratched. Much pleased with that demonstration, this good man turned to those with him and said, We have just witnessed the greatest demonstration of meekness I've ever seen. Meekness is great power under complete control. Now, why do I share all of this with you? Because I believe that President Irene is one of the meekest men on the earth. And that meekness is a theme for all of our apostles and prophets, that what sets them apart, aside from a few other things, like their special witness of the Savior and their full consecration and their humility and their being led by the Spirit and maybe, maybe others, but it's their meekness. Their meekness is what sets them apart. They really are following the Savior's pattern of being meek and teaching us the pattern of that great Christ-like attribute. Another one of President Irene's wonderful, significant teachings, one that I've never forgotten, that's blessed my life as a priesthood leader for sure. He talked about once being the bishop of a ward. That was the Stanford First Ward. I worked with a young man who had made great mistakes, but he had been moved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to make long and painful repentance. We were down to the weeks just before he was to be married in the temple. I had long before forgiven him in the name of the church and had given him a temple recommend, but he remembered that I had said that the Lord will forgive you in his own time and in his own way, and now he was deeply concerned. He came to my office and said, wait, you told me that the Lord would someday let me know that I was forgiven, but I'm going to the temple to marry a wonderful girl, and I want to be the best I can be for her. I need to know that I'm forgiven, and I need to know now. Tell me how to find out. And Bishop Irene, as a new bishop, said, I'll try. This young man gave me a deadline, as I recall, and it was less than two weeks away. Fortunately, during that period of time, I went to Salt Lake City and found myself seeing Elder Spencer W. Kimball, then a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, at a social function. Now, once again, President Kimball was Elder Irene's uncle, so it was probably some family social gathering, and there they were, He walked up to be in that crowd and said, Hal, I understand that you are now a bishop. Do you have anything you'd like to ask me? And I will promise you that any bishop of the church, if an apostle walked up and said, Hey, ask me any question you want to, I know that as a bishop I could have kept that apostle busy for the rest of the day. And so what a great question. I said that I did, but I didn't think this was the place to talk about it. And so they went to a more private setting. And I asked Elder Kimball, I told Elder Kimball about the young man, about his concerns, about how he wanted to know if he had been forgiven. And then I asked Elder Kimball, how can he get that revelation? How can he know whether his sins are remitted? Now, I thought Elder Kimball would talk about fasting or prayer or listening for the still small voice, but he surprised me. Instead, he said, tell me something about the young man. I said, okay, what is it you'd like to know? And then he began a series of the most simple questions. Some of the ones I remember were like this. Does he come to priesthood meetings? I said after a moment of thought, yes. And does he come early? Yes. Does he sit towards the front? I thought about that for a moment and realized, yeah, he actually does sit towards the front. 
Does he home teach or night day does he minister? Yes. And does he go early in the month? Yes, he does. Does he go more than once? Yes. Now, I can't remember all the other questions, but they were all like that. Little things. Simple acts of obedience and submission. And for each question, I was surprised that my answer was always yes. Yes, he wasn't just at all of his meetings, but he was early. And he was smiling. And he was not there only with a broken heart, or his whole heart, but with a broken heart. And after I had said yes to every one of these questions, Elder Kimball looked at me, he paused, and then very quietly, and I'd say, I'm sure very reverently said, well, there is your revelation. Now, I love that. I love that story because there's a lesson for all of us that as we engage in the gospel fully, and as it, set, it's, as it states in the Doctrine and Covenants, as we give the gospel all that we have, that there is forgiveness that can come to us, that forgiveness comes to us as we are consecrated and devoted and serve the Lord in every way we can. Years ago, President Irene spoke about the need to follow prophets, and I find that his counsel not only was re relevant in 1997 when he gave it, but perhaps even more relevant today as many struggle with following prophetic leadership. So he said that looking for the path to safety in the counsel of prophets makes sense to those with strong faith. And when a prophet speaks, those with little faith may think that they only hear a wise man giving good advice. Then, if his counsel seems comfortable and reasonable, squaring with what they want to do anyway, they take it. And if it does not, they consider it either faulty advice or they see their circumstances as justifying their being an exception to that counsel. Those without any faith may think they hear only men seeking to exert influence for some selfish motive. Now, I'm going to digress just for a moment and open up another window, so to speak, and share with you an experience one of our daughters had where she was visiting with a friend in college here at BYU, and they were talking about for the strength of youth. Now, this was 10 years ago, but it was very clear that this girl that our daughter was in conversation with viewed the for strength of youth, as President Irene just described, as, you know what, old men giving good advice, take it or leave it, do whatever you want with it. And our daughter was saying, no, I think this is like these words are from the mouth of the Lord himself. And our daughter came back to us to share that story. And we wanted her to know our testimony that, yes, Bethany, those, <laughs> those are the words of our living prophets that come from the Lord. They're his words. And that's what President Irene, I think, is helping us understand. And now back to him, a continuation of that quote. Every time in my life when I have chosen to delay following inspired counsel or decided that I was an exception, I came to know that I'd put myself in harm's way. But every time that I've listened to the counsel of prophets, felt it confirmed in prayer, and then followed it, I have found that I had moved towards safety. And along the path, I have found that the way had been prepared for me and the rough places had been made smooth. God led me to safety along a path which was prepared with loving care, sometimes prepared long before. What a great, what a great statement from President Irene for all of us. It's a revelation to all of us that when we delay following counsel or ignore counsel, that we are in harm's way. But when we listen to the counsel from our prophets and our leaders and follow it, we are on the path to safety there's no question about that in my mind. On another topic, one of the things I've always enjoyed from President Irene is his speaking to the priesthood of the church about when he was a young man, when he was an Aaronic priesthood holder. 
And he often told or taught us about mentoring, about how he had these great mentors in his life. And of course, one of those mentors was his own father, who there's several great stories of when Henry Irene Sr., as a world-renowned scientist, chemist, professor, was asked by the First Presidency to write a piece, let's say, on evolution or on some scientific issue. It wasn't uncommon for Henry Sr. to pull his son, Hal, into his study and say, Hal, read this and tell me what you think. Give me some feedback. And Elder Irene talked about just being blown away that his, his father, who had such a prominent position in the world, would be asking this 14, 15, 16-year-old young man uh, for almost counsel. But I love that. Another great influence in President Irene's life as a young man was Bishop Alvin R. Dyer, who later became a member of the First Presidency. He was a mission president, just very influential. But as a bishop, he was outstanding. And here's President Irene saying, I remember a bishop who treated me as if I were already what I had the potential to become in priesthood power. He called me one Sunday when I was a priest. He said he needed me to be his companion to visit some members of our ward. He made it sound as if I were his only hope for success. He didn't need me. He had excellent counselors in the bishopric. We visited a penniless, hungry widow. He wanted me to help him reach her heart, challenging her to make and use a budget and promise her that she could rise to be in a position not only to take care of herself, but to help others. We went next to comfort two little girls living in a difficult situation. And as we walked away, the bishop said quietly to me, those children will never forget that we came to them. At the next house, I saw how to invite a less active man to come back to the Lord by convincing him that ward members needed him. That bishop was a Melchizedek priesthood holder who was raising my sights and giving me a boost by example. He taught me to have the power and the courage to go anywhere in the service for the Lord. He has long gone to his reward, but I still remember him because he reached down to lift me up when I was an inexperienced Aaronic priesthood holder. I learned later that he saw me on a future priesthood path greater of greater responsibilities than beyond my own vision. I love that from, from President Irene that Here's this bishop saying in his mind, this Henry Eyring young man is going places. He's going to do some significant things in the church one day. I'm going to get him ready in his young years. Another part of that mentoring includes this story. President Eyring explained that at the age of 17, he was called to speak to a large audience. I had no idea what was expected of me, and I wasn't given a subject, and so I prepared a talk that was way beyond what I knew about the gospel. And as I spoke, I realized I had made a mistake. And I can still remember that after I spoke, I had the sinking feeling that I had failed. But the next and final speaker was Elder Matthew Calley of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He was a great orator, a great speaker, beloved across the church. And I still remember looking up at him from my seat next to the rostrum. He began in a powerful voice. He said that my speech had made him feel that he was at a great conference. He smiled as he said it. My feelings of failure left and were followed by confidence that I might someday become what he seemed to think I already was. The memory of that night still leads me to listen carefully when an ironic priesthood holder speaks because of what Elder Callie did for me. I always expect that I will hear the word of God. And I am seldom disappointed and often amazed 
and I can't help but smile as Elder Cowley did. Now, I don't know this personally, but I have a feeling that President Irene has returned that favor many times over as he has built up young men and young women uh, by giving them confidence with his kind and loving words. Another one of my favorite talks and messages that President Irene shared was from the October 2015 General Conference. The title of the talk, You Are Not Alone in This Work. He shared the experience of learning from an elders quorum president at a state conference years ago. In the conference, there were more than 40 names presented of men who were to receive the Melchizedek priesthood. The stake president leaned over to me on the podium and whispered, those men were all less active prospective elders. In amazement, I asked the president what his program was to rescue these men. He pointed to a young man in the back of the chapel. He said, there he is. Most of these men have, had, have been brought back because of that elders quorum president. He was on the back road, dressed casually, his legs stretched out with his battered boots crossed in front of them. I asked the stake president to introduce me to him after the meeting, and when we met, I told the young man I was surprised by what he had done and asked how he did it. He shrugged his shoulders. He obviously didn't think he deserved any credit. And then he said softly, I know every inactive guy in this town. Most of them have pickup trucks. I have a truck too. I wash my pickup where they wash theirs, and in time, they have become my friends. He said... Then I wait until something goes wrong in their lives. It always does. They tell me about it. I listen, and I don't find fault. Then when they say there is something wrong in my life, there just has to be something better than this, I tell them what is missing and where they can find it. Sometimes they believe me, and when they do, I take them with me. Back to President Irene. You can see why he was modest. It was because he knew he had done his small part, and the Lord was doing the rest. It was the Lord who had touched the hearts of those men in their troubles. It was the Lord who had given them the feeling that there must be something better for them and a hope that they could find it. This young man, who like you was a servant of the Lord, simply believed that if he did his small part, the Lord would help those men along the path to home and to the happiness only he could give them. This man also knew that the Lord had called him as elders quorum president because he would do his part. I think that's a great experience that shares, or at least that points to, it informs us as to why we should minister and how, once again, it's the Lord's work, that we're not alone. He'll give us the guidance. He'll give us the direction. We just have to do our part and be willing to move our feet. The last story in this talk that I'd like to share, You're Not Alone in the Work, is really significant to me because it intersects with my wife's family history. My wife has a relative named Henry Miller. And Henry Miller, I kind of call the Forrest Gump of the church. He was that guy that was at every major event, but no one has ever really heard of him. And he had the opportunity to serve a mission among the Cherokee Nation with Henry Eyring. Henry Eyring's great-grandfather, whose also name was Henry Eyring. So this, this Henry Eyring I'm referring to was baptized on March the 11th, 1855 in St. Louis. Erastus Snow ordained him to the office of priest shortly thereafter. And then the president of the St. Louis stake, John Hart, called him to serve a mission to the Cherokee Nation on October the 6th. He was ordained an elder on October 11th. He left on horseback for the Cherokee Mission on October the 24th. He was 24 years old and a convert of only seven months. 
and if any priesthood holder had a reason to feel unqualified or unprepared, it was Henry Eyring. The only reason he could have the courage to go was that he knew in his heart that God had called him through his authorized servants. It was the source of his courage. That must also be the source of our courage to persevere whatever our callings in the priesthood. After Elder Irene had served for three difficult years and upon the death of the mission president, Henry was nominated and sustained as president of the mission in a meeting held on October the 6th, 1858. He was surprised and shocked as any new deacon would be. He wrote, it was quite unexpected to me to be called to that responsible office, but as, that, as it was the will of the brethren, I cheerfully accepted, feeling at the same time my great weakness and lack of experience. The now present Irene traveled to the Cherokee Creek and Choctaw Nations in 1859. Through his efforts, the Lord added, as Henry recorded, a number to the church. He organized two branches, but noted that very few are alive in the cause. A year later, Henry was faced with the difficult reality that the political leaders among the people he was serving no longer permitted Latter-day Saint missionaries to do their work. And as he pondered what he should do, he recalled the instruction from his previous mission president indicating that he should prolong his mission until 1859. In October of that year, Henry wrote President Brigham Young for direction, but did not receive a reply to his question. Henry recorded, not being able to hear anything from the presidency of the church, I called upon the Lord in prayer, asking him to reveal to me his mind and will in regard to my remaining longer or going up to Zion. He continued, The following dream was given to me in answer to my prayer. I dreamt I had arrived in Salt Lake City and immediately went to President Brigham Young's office, where I found him. I said to him, President Young, I have left my mission. I have come on of my own accord. But if there is anything wrong in this, I am willing to return and finish my mission. In the dream, the prophet replied, You have stayed long enough. It is all right. Henry wrote in his journal, Having had dreams before which were literally fulfilled, I had faith to believe that this also would be and consequently commenced at once to prepare for a start. He did arrive in Salt Lake on August 29, 1860, having walked most of the way. Two days later, he walked into the office of President Brigham Young. Henry described the experience in these words. I called upon President Young, who received me very kindly. I said to him, President Young, I have come without being sent for, and if I have done wrong, I am willing to return to finish my mission. Brigham Young answered, it is, it is all right. We have been looking for you. Henry described his joy by saying, thus my dream was literally fulfilled. I love that in present Irene's life, he has had great leaders in his family history that have gone before him, that have led the way, that have marked the path, and have showed him the path to follow when it comes to discipleship and full consecration. President Irene added to this story, speaking of his great-great-grandfather Henry Irene, that his joy came from a confirmation that the Lord had been working with and watching over him. He learned what is true for all of us, that the Lord's servants are inspired to know the Lord's will. And Henry had confirmed what I know as well, that the prophet as the president of the priesthood is inspired of God to watch over and to care for the Lord's servants and to call them. Another teaching from President Irene that I would love to share. And really, I've heard two apostles talk about this quite often. Elder Scott, Elder Richard G. Scott, and Elder or now President Henry B. Eyring have talked about the concept of writing things down, of capturing 
what the Lord reveals to us. I know a fr- have a friend that knew President Irene quite well in their Rexburg years and said that President Irene always had a notepad or a pen and a pen close to him where he slept, even close to the shower, so that when ideas would flood his mind, he could write them down. And uh, once again, he's just really big on this idea. In a talk he gave years ago called Remembrance and Gratitude, he quoted President Kimball, who said that those who keep a book of remembrance are more likely to keep the Lord in remembrance in their daily lives. And journals are a way of counting our blessings and of leaving an inventory of these blessings for our posterity. President Irene then continued, You could have an experience with the gift of the Holy Ghost today. You could begin with a private prayer of thanks. You could start to count your blessings and then pause for a moment. By the way, I'm going to interject that you may remember from our previous podcast that one of the things that President Irene does every day is is not just count blessings, but he asks the Lord to remind him of the blessings he has that he's not aware of. Now back to President Irene's quote, If you exercise faith and with the gift of the Holy Ghost, you will find that memories of other blessings will flood into your mind. If you begin to express gratitude for each of them, your prayer may take a little longer than usual, but remembrance will come, and so will gratitude. And as you start to write, you can ask yourself, How did God bless me today? And if you do that long enough and with faith, you will find yourself remembering blessings. And sometimes you will have gifts brought to your mind which you failed to notice during the day, but which you will then know were a touch of God's hand in your life. You can choose to remember the greatest gift of all. Next week you can go to a meeting where the sacrament is administered. You will hear the words, Always remember Him. You know, a wise woman gave me sound advice years ago. She said that it's her experience that if we did these four things at the end of every day, our lives would be better and happier. We would be more hopeful and optimistic. We would live with less anxiety and fear and depression. And she said this, at the end of every day, number one, write down something funny that happened. And I know there are funny things happening out there all the time. Number two, write down something that you're grateful for. Oh, there are so many things to be grateful for, but we can be specific when we think of what, what are we grateful for today. Number three, a success that you've had, whatever that is, whatever one thing that you accomplished. And number four, how the Lord has touched your life that day. And this woman taught me, this good sister, that if we just did that every day and kept a journal and answered those four questions, our lives would be so much better. And I totally believe that to be true. Now from a Mormon message years ago, I want you to listen to President Irene as he explains this process and how it has worked in his life. When our children were very small, I started to write down a few things about what happened every day. I wrote down a few lines every day for years. I never missed a day, no matter how tired I was or how early. I would have to start the next day. Before I would write, I would ponder this question. Have I seen the hand of God reaching out to touch us? As I would cast my mind over the day, I would see evidence of what God had done for one of us that I had not recognized in the busy moments of the day. As that happened, and it happened often, 
I realized that trying to remember had allowed God to show me what he had done. I so appreciate those teachings from President Irene on being able to see the hand of the Lord in our lives by recording those spiritual experiences, promptings, and impressions, thoughts, and ideas, and how they can make such a difference in our life. Now, for myself, I can tell you how this applies, but when I was 18 years old, I joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I still remember after my baptismal service that many members of our branch, this was such a big thing out in West Texas, we went to the local pizza place and we ate and one of the missionaries who baptized me said, now Mark, how do you feel? And I told him that I'd never been more excited, more happy, that I had felt the light and love of the gospel. It was just, I really felt like it was just oozing out of my pores. But then that missionary gave me an invitation that became very significant. He said, when you get home tonight, I want you to write down all of your feelings about your baptism. I said, hey, that is such a great idea. Uh, You bet. And of course, never did it. Did not write that. I wrote nothing down. And uh, anyway, and so a few months later, I was in my dormitory at my college in Texas. And I had a, a relative who showed up one day, knocked on my door, and under each arm had about five or six books. They were all anti-Mormon books. And his purpose was to save me from what I had done. I'm sure uh, he had great intentions. But uh, after visiting with him for about an hour, um, I felt such darkness and such hopelessness. And once again, luckily for me, I had a great friend who was a member of the church who stood next to me and He had been well prepared. He was able to answer almost every question that my relative had thrown towards me. But still, I was scarred from that a little bit. And I remembered thinking, had I written down those feelings I had when I was baptized, I never would have doubted. I never would have had to go to that dark place. And so I'm so grateful for our leaders who have invited us to do this over and over again. Now, we talked about President Irene. Let me read to you from, President, from Elder Richard G. Scott. He's speaking at Education Week at BYU a few years ago. And he said, I noticed that many of you have come prepared to take notes on what you hear. And while that is of great benefit, I will share a pattern that will provide you even greater access to truth. It is summarized in this statement of principle that throughout the remainder of my life, I will seek to learn by what I hear, see, and feel And I'll write down the important things I learn and will do them. And then Elder Scott additionally taught that as as we record these impressions from the Spirit, that more inspiration that will come that would not have otherwise. So by recording the revelations that we receive, the Lord will trust us enough to share more light and more knowledge with us. On another occasion, Elder Richard G. Scott taught that to record impressions of the Spirit that inspiration carefully recorded shows God that his communications are sacred to us. And recording will also enhance our ability to recall revelation. Even our prophet present, Russell M. Nelson, has given this counsel to pray in the name of Jesus Christ about your concerns, your fears, your weaknesses. Yes, the very longings of your heart, and then listen. Write the thoughts that come to your mind, record your feelings, and follow through with actions that you're prompted to take. Well, I love that formula, and I love this counsel that's been shared with us from several prophets, seers, and revelators. 
Now back to President Irene as we conclude. I am so grateful for President Henry B. Irene. I recognize him as one of the Lord's choice servants here on the earth. He's lived a remarkable life, and at every step of the way, at every turn, he has always been willing to consecrate and to sacrifice his own will and his own desires to do whatever the Lord has wanted him to do. He has raised a wonderful, strong family. He has had a wonderful, great, strong marriage that he loves the gospel, and he is all in. And I'm so grateful for his influence in my life and hope I can be in some way similar to him in the way that he consecrates, in the way that he sacrifices, and in the way that he lives his life. It's been such an inspiration to me, and I share that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.